Hello, this is Brian Lane, lead pastor of FAM Church, and this is our podcast. On Sunday, the message was delivered by Ashley Darrow. It's a powerful message called Know Your Enemy. And so let's get ready to see who he is so we can effectively engage him in our life. The enemy was trying to stop this, right? Y'all seen the title of this message? Not this morning. Um, I just want to say before I start that that was a powerful worship. And thank you so much, Becca, for leading worship, pushing past barriers and letting God use your life to minister to others. Because I was so touched by that this morning. So thank you. And thank you to the worship team. Great worship. Um, So this morning, I really want to talk to you about a topic that we don't hear preached on very often. I want to talk to you about the enemy of your soul, the evil one who we commonly refer to as the devil. Just to let you know before we get started that the aim of this message is not to glorify evil. The aim of this message is to simply study who our enemy is, what our enemy wants and what he's doing, and how we overcome him in our lives. So with these being our goals, I have titled today's message, Know Your Enemy. So the Lord asked me to preach this particular message because I believe he has a goal for us. I believe he wants us to leave here today with a better understanding on the issue of evil and how we are to battle the devil in our daily lives. So God doesn't want us to be afraid of the devil, but he wants us to be wise in how we deal with him. God does not want us to be ignorant Christians, amen? We are his children and he wants us to be well informed, strong, and able to stand firm so that we can defeat whatever comes against us in Jesus' name. So God does not um, want us to be ignorant and think that the devil isn't real and that he doesn't exist because anyone can look around and see that evil exists in our world. Turn on the news and you're going to get an earful of it. People are killing people every day with even worse things happening than that. So to deny that there's not an evil force at work around us is absolutely absurd and it's contradictory to God's word. So God does not want us thinking that just because he has told us in the last book of the Bible, some of you may know, in the book of Revelation, that the devil will ultimately lose the war that he has waged and be locked away forever, never to hurt anybody again, that that does not mean that he holds no power in our world today, and that, because that's not true. He is still at work, and he is still a threat. These beliefs are false, and they are lies that keep us blind and that keep us ignorant. The devil wants us to believe these things about him because then he w- we will pay him no attention and therefore he's free to wreak havoc in our lives and ultimately have access to run amok, freely destroying whatever he pleases and getting away with it all undercover, right? So my hope today is that through this message you will be encouraged to come to know more about your enemy so that you're better equipped and prepared to handle the battles that you will face in your life. We must be armed with the truth. God wants his children to be schooled and he wants us to be ready for battle with this solid truth in mind as we move forward. Romans 8:37 says that in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? All right. So let's all close our eyes for a word of prayer. 
Father God, how we love and adore you and your precious word given to us for wisdom and edification. Help each of us today grow more in understanding of the one who is against us so that we can stand stronger against his attacks. Father, we thank you for giving us all that we're ever gonna need in this life. Use me as your voice to speak truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So first we're gonna look at who our enemy is. So let's start by looking at his many names, his helpers, and his positions. 52 times in the Bible, he is referred to as Satan. He is called the day star, this being translated in Latin to Lucifer. This was his angelic name in heaven before his great fall. He was also called son of the morning as well because he possessed great light that was given to him by God. The most popular name, of course, is the devil, which actually means slanderer. He is called this because he lives day and night to slander God and humanity. He is also called the accuser of God's people, tempter, ruler of demons, the evil one, Beelzebub, which means lord of the dung, which I think was a funny one and probably describes him the best, the enemy, the father of lies, murderer, ruler of this world, god of this age, angel of light, ruler of the authority of the air, roaring lion, dragon, old serpent, and the deceiver of the whole world. Lucifer was a beautiful angel that was given great light and position by God. But because of his beauty and greatness, he became full of pride and arrogance. Even with all of his splendor, he still wanted more. He wanted to be as high as God. Because of this sin, God cast him out of heaven and he was banished to the earth and there he became the evil of a, a leader, a evil leader of the legion of other fallen angels that we can refer to as demons that are just like him. So Satan has declared war on God, heaven, and humanity. So we are in the middle of a heavenly war and this is the crew that we must battle. The demons and the devil himself are what make up our enemy. So let's all turn to Genesis chapter three and we will read verses one through 13. Here is where we will get a glimpse of him in action for the very first time. If you don't know, Genesis is the first book of the Bible and it is where our story begins. Previously in the first two chapters, God had created the heavens and the earth and all that inhabit it with the pentacle of his creation being human beings that he created in his glorious image. So these two were male and female and their names were Adam and Eve and God placed them in the beautiful garden of Eden and gave them just a few instructions. One was that they were not to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if they did, they would surely die. So now we see the devil coming to do what he does best and in case you're wondering in this story, he is gonna be called the serpent. So verse one, now the serpent was craftier than any of the other wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say that you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And then the woman saw that the fruit of the tree, it was good for food, it was pleasing to the eye, and it was also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband, 
who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from, hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I have commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So in this story, we can see many characteristics of the devil. The text informs us right away that he is crafty. And he's not just crafty, but it says that he is craftier than any other. The definition of crafty means clever at achieving one's aims by indirect or deceitful methods. Some synonyms of crafty are cunning, wily, devious, sly, tricky, dishonest, underhanded, deceitful, scheming, calculated, and evasive. All these things, they describe some of his crooked and evil characteristics. In this, in this particular story, the enemy's aim was for the humans to go against God's protective command, and he used deceitful methods to make that happen. So he had to be clever in the ways that he came after the woman in order to successfully lead her astray. Just remember that he will do whatever and he will say whatever to get you to go against God's commands. Because God's commands, they're given for our protection. And he wants to pull us away from them at all costs so that we are, we are vulnerable and we're left in these vulnerable places and positions so then he can attack us. Amen? So we can see that he pursued and he approached Eve first. She was minding her own business. She was enjoying her wonderful life in the garden with God and her husband. She was naked. She was free from shame. She was secure with all that she had. Adam and God, they were good, and Adam loved his wife that God had given him. Everyone was enjoying unity and harmony and peace, living in relationship with each other in the garden. Satan was not having that. So he schemed up a devious plan, and he launched his attack on Eve. I just want you to know that the enemy watches you, he studies you, and he pursues you. And he has done that to mankind for centuries. And I'm not trying to intimidate you when I say that or put fear in your heart, but I want you to know the truth of the battle that you are in. We don't typically go out looking for wrong things that we can do. Usually it's him that pursues us and entices us to go in unholy directions. Most of the time, we don't even realize it either until we're the ones sitting in a heap of trouble. So on a side note, I just want to say that I think many of us take credit for the, the, a lot of the enemy's work. I think that we think that we're solely responsible for the messes that we get in. And now don't get me wrong, we are responsible to some degree. But we did not get there alone, we had help. Most of us do not purposely sit around and come up with evil thoughts and ideas and plans to go out and do. We just don't typically do that. But the enemy does, and he launches and he plants bad thoughts, ideas, and lies into our minds. We do not originate these. These are not originated with us. They're originated with him. 
The part that is our responsibility, however, is whether we're gonna agree with them or not, amen? So stop blaming yourself for the trashy thoughts that come in and start telling the devil you ain't going dumpster diving with him today, right? Right. So in this story, we can see that he is the producer of doubt, okay? We see that when he persuades persuaded Eve to ponder, to rethink, and to waver on something that God had already told her. That is something that he does to confuse people today. He will, he will get us to ponder and to rethink a truth that we already know so that he can twist it all up in our mind. This causes us confusion and leaves us unsure about something that we were previously sure about, right? And this is how he gets us to fall into the trap of doubt and confusion, So we can also see that he is a liar, right? We know he's a liar, especially against God's words and God's commands. We see that when he tells the woman, you will not die, by any means necessary will he try to separate us from the truth and get us to believe and act out lies. He is no playful, tiny, little red devil with a pitchfork and a tail. He he is not that. He is the most crafty, cunning, evil being in force on our planet, and he is always working to plan out our destruction. I want you to notice that after his deceitful aim here with Adam and Eve in the garden was accomplished, he sat back and he watched as Adam and Eve suffered the consequences. Verse 10 tells us that Adam answered the Lord and said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Because of this deceitful trap they fell into, they were both now full of fear, afraid to face God, shame as seen in realizing their nakedness and trying to cover it, and guilt as they hid from God. Now, as a greater consequence, we all live in a world full of fear, shame, and guilt, and many types of sin that separate us from God and that produce human suffering. The devil likes to see humans suffer. He was successful in his aim here. His craftiness got him exactly what he wanted. We can see by the story that Satan hates God and humanity and works hard to bring destruction. This is still his desire and aim for mankind today, but since then, then, some of his other motives have changed a bit. Now that he was successful in deceiving the humans, what's next? What does he want more? What is he after? And what is he doing? Well, first and foremost, the devil's constantly working to lead humans away from coming to believe the ultimate truth, which is only found in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Because Jesus is the solution for sin and death. After humanity fell in the garden, God had to do something about the sin problem. So he sent, that's why he sent his son Jesus. John 3.16 informs us of that. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever shall believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. The devil does not want people to come to believe and accept Jesus because the devil knows that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the truth, and that Jesus is the life. Amen? Jesus told us in John 10.10 that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the devil will do anything in his power to keep you from believing in Jesus because he is our entrance into heaven and our key to living an abundant life. 
So the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy everything that God calls good. And Jesus wants to give us eternal and abundant life. See, the enemy tricks many people in this area. I hear people say, well, I know who Jesus is. And they think that that is covering them. But I want to tell you something, that knowing who Jesus is and believing in Jesus are two different things. This is one of Satan's lies and tactics that he uses to steal people's potential relationship with God. And if left unchecked, will rob them of their eternal life too. Because knowing and believing are two separate things. They don't mean the same. Christians call themselves believers, not knowers. The religious people in the Bible, the Pharisees, they knew who Jesus said he was, and they even knew him in person, but they did not believe in him. So knowing is not the way believing is. Knowing something happens with our minds, it's a head thing, and believing something happens in our heart, it's a heart thing. So just so just know that the enemy is working diligently day and night to keep people far from the ultimate truth, which is coming to believe in Jesus and making him their Lord and their Savior. So I want us to look at our beliefs for a minute. Our beliefs are what drive our lives. Our beliefs aid us in dictating uh, the choices, and they aid us in dictating the choices that we make. Our beliefs are very powerful. They have the power to ignite our actions and ignite others into action as well. What we are believing in will determine what we are doing with our lives. Why do you think we see so many wars, battles, fights, arguments, disagreements, all happening over people who believe differently? We get passionate about and we get motivated by what we believe to be true. So the enemy, he cares about what you're believing and what you're not believing because he knows the power that belief holds. For example, I can know that God is good with my head, but I must believe that truth in my heart for it to manifest results out into my life. When you come to believe in God's truth, you, the, all the different truths, you come to possess true power. John 8, 32 says that then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we know who Jesus sets free is free indeed, right? So the truth has the power to set people free from the prisons of lies that the enemy has tried to encase them in. Amen? Amen. Amen. Got to know the truth. It's so important. So if a person is not a believer, then they can be controlled by demons and not even know it. See, we see this truth all through the New Testament when Jesus went out into the cities casting out demons from possessed people. Unbelievers do not know that they are being controlled by demons. John, cha John chapter 12 verse 40 tells us that he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they cannot see with their eyes and understand with their hearts in turn and I would heal them. So they don't know. Unbelievers don't know the truth. So they don't know what they are living is a lie. So when a person does believe in Jesus, however, they cannot be possessed by demons because they are protected by the Holy Spirit. Yes, precious Holy Spirit. And see, the devil most certainly pursues Christians, so please don't assume that be, um, you are free from his radar after coming to believe and accepting Jesus because the, ap the opposite is actually true. That's when you're really gonna know, notice his presence in your life. Because by then, you're on your way to becoming a real threat to him and his plans. Especially when you begin to learn and to believe the truths found in God's word. Like who he really is, for example. A Christian armed with the truth is a dangerous thing to the devil. Amen? Amen. 
And you know, he knows all this because he knows God's word too. Therefore, he works diligently to keep you from reading your Bible, from going to church, talking to other believers, or being involved in any activity where you are learning more about the Lord. The devil does not want Christians to believe all of God's truth, so he works hard to come against them with lies. He keeps people out of church. I don't want to go to church. They're hypocrites, right? Those are some of his lies. There's all, he tells so many lies, and I'm not, I could like preach, like I would never stop if I was just talk about all the enemy's lies and assaults that he has, and I'm not gonna go into all that, but I am gonna highlight one thing because I feel like this is very important. Um, the enemy lies to us about our grace. He wants us to believe that grace is not really what it seems. He wants us to believe that we must earn it somehow, that we must work hard for it, or that he wants us to believe that we're gonna run out of grace or run out of chances because we've had this nagging sin that we haven't been able to conquer fast enough for God. You're gonna get punished, hurry up, time's almost up. He may plant these types of thoughts into our minds to try and make us work harder, work faster, as if there's some sort of grace cap that we're about to reach. How absurd is, are these lies? But you don't know that they're lies unless you know what the truth is. You gotta know the truth. And let me tell you what the truth about grace is. Oh, let me tell you what the truth about grace is. Grace is given so that you can freely, you can live freely and not under the weight of sin's condemnation. Romans 8.1 says, Give, gives us this truth. Therefore, now, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to carry that weight around. That's not for us. If you are in Christ, then every bit of your sin is covered. And every... You don't have to pay for it because Jesus has already did that. He's paid for every murder, every act of adultery, every act of idolatry, every lie, every bit of gossip and slander and pride, every hateful and neglectful act that you have ever committed or will ever commit, and you can freely believe that. It's okay to believe that. It is okay to believe that you're covered because you are covered by his grace, no exceptions. I know, I know, grace is a free gift. It's given from God, we cannot earn it, and we really don't deserve it. But God says that it's ours. It is for us to just accept it, to just believe it, just to walk in it, just to live it, just to enjoy it, breathe it in, and most importantly, fight your enemy with your grace. Tell him you know who you are. I'm covered. I am covered. If we reject Jesus' grace by believing his lies, then we're rejecting everything that he did on that cross to give us that life, to give us that freedom, to give us that way. Don't reject the grace. Don't reject it. The devil ta attacks us in our thoughts and he will dress up a lie and it will look like the truth. Amen. This is the tricky part that I want you to know. He is not real obvious with the way he comes at you. He doesn't speak into your minds and say things like, do evil things and believe the lies that I'm telling you right now. 
No, he most certainly does not do that. He would never make himself that obvious, right? And most people think that they're not bothered by the devil because they don't hear some kind of Dracula in their head, you know? Like, he's not after me. But the truth is that the devil uses his skills and he uses his powers to manipulate our minds. He uses his craftiness and his cunningness. He uses the great light that God gave him to make the things that he plants in your mind seem like they are right, they are pleasing, and, and they're appealing to you. Just like he did with Eve in the garden. She saw the fruit, that it was good, pleasing, and desirable, so she ate it. Satan was given great light by God, and he knows how to use it. Jesus, he is the real light of the world, and Satan's light can never compare to his, but he does use it to his advantage. The Bible tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So just so, you, just so that I know that I've said this to you right today, the devil will feed you crap and garbage in your mind. He'll wrap it up in holy light, and then he'll make you think it's from God and it's the truth. Amen? Amen. I mean, come on. I believe another thing that he does is that he toys with our imaginations. Our imagination is the creative side of us that does awesome things like dream, like envision, design beautiful art. We invent things, we build, we make up creative stories. This is just like God our Father whose creativity brought into existence everything that you see. Satan uses our creative imagination against us to lead us astray, to torment us, and to, be, and to get us to believe in things that are not true. When he is playing with our imaginations, he makes things seem and feel like they're really real and they're really happening, when in actuality, the stuff isn't even happening at all, <laughs> right? He uses our imagination to replay offenses over and over in our mind, a rude comment, a, a sharp word, a, a, a bitter face. He will use that and he will, he will use our imaginations to replay it over and over. He will also use um, the imagination to remind you of bad things from your past. He will recall a bad memory or he'll try to predict bad future scenarios in your head. And, and, and he does all this in a harmful way so that it will provoke us into negative emotions like fear, anxiety, worry, anger. Because if he ties us up in knots emotionally, then we are more apt to act out on, on the twisted emotions and, and sin causing harm to others and harm to ourselves. right? So Satan is strategic with his advances. He keeps careful watch over you and he waits for the perfect time to tempt you. One of my favorite times, one of his favorite times, not my favorite time, that is not my favorite time to be tempted, no. <laughs> So one of his favorite times to come is when we are in a weakened state. Let's look quickly at a story found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This story gives us insight into this particular, this particular tactic of his. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. As we see here, the devil waits to attack us when we're in a vulnerable state. When we have been weakened by some issue that's in our life, he will launch and he will strike his attack. 
For example, he looks for times when we're angry, when we're tired, when we are emotionally challenged, we're afraid, we've been offended, or in Jesus' case, we're just hungry, right? Because in these times, we are emotional, wounded, or desperate. With Jesus, he was tempting him to use his power to break his fast and to fail his testing. He likes to tempt people to go after things that they want and, and they need in all the wrong ways. Now that we have talked about who our enemy is and what he's up to, I want to talk to you most importantly about how we overcome him in our lives. In the book of Revelation, it tells us that Satan will ultimately lose the war that he's waged on God, heaven, and humanity. Revelation 20.10 says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And that is his end. That is where he, that's his future. Amen? However, <laughs> this time has not yet come. So today we must battle. Amen? But, um, and we battle, though, with the knowledge that God has a plan for his end and that he is ultimately our defeated enemy, right? He's defeated. So this should give us hope and this should give us the strength we need for the fight. So James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. That's all right, girl. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Don't come into agreement with the devil. No, 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 no. You have a choice on what you come into agreement with. So pay attention to your thoughts and pay attention to the thoughts that you are choosing. And don't side with the devil. When asking how you know if you are agreeing and siding with the devil on situations, there are some things to pay attention to. If you're choosing good thoughts, if you're choosing kind thoughts, lovely, merciful, life-bringing, truthful thoughts, then you're probably, if you're not choosing this, I'm sorry, then you're probably doing opposite from this. And yes, that's siding with the devil, opposite of all those things. Remember that the devil is the great opposer. He opposes God's character by being the exact opposite of everything that God is. God is good, the enemy is evil. God is love, Satan is hatred. God is truth, and Satan is a liar. This verse says submit to God and to resist the devil. This means to say yes to God, yes to God, and no to the enemy. This means that we are to continually to do this all day, every day, like Yes, I'm going to go to church. Yes, I'm going to read my Bible. Yes, I'm going to pray. Yes, I'm going to call a friend when I feel defeated. Yes, yes, yes. No, I'm not going to lay in bed. No, I'm not going to have a pity party with myself. No, my Bible's not going to collect dust on the shelf. I'm going to get it out. I'm going to read the word, and I'm going to fight them with the word. See, we have routines that we do every day, like brush our teeth and put on deodorant. At least I hope that we do. <laughs> Why? Because we would stink or our teeth would rot out. So in doing this, we are disciplined to care for our outer body. We have an inner body. We have an inner life. Likewise, we must also care and discipline our inner parts like our mind. We say yes to lovely and kind thoughts and no to judgmental and critical thoughts. 
We say yes to the truth and we say no to the lies. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient unto Christ. I just love this. We demolish. It don't say we say, oh no, I'm not, I'm not going to agree with that. No, we demolish that argument. When he comes against, we say go. We bulldoze it. We annihilate it. We knock it down. We obliterate that lie. I'm not, I'm not agreeing with that. There's no way. Nope. And then we replace it with the truth. We replace it with the truth. So the devil sends trashy thoughts, lies into our imaginations, and, and, our, and imaginations into our minds. So when those happen, we must immediately reject them. First Peter 5.8 says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, waiting, looking for someone to devour. So this verse, it says to stay alert, to watch out. This is a command that's given, why? Because we have a lion that is hunting us and we are, its, are his prey. I would advise you today to stay alert because that's what the Bible says for us to do. And I looked, and there's nowhere after it says this that it says that we can now take it easy, we can now relax, that it's all good, we're good, watch TV, you know what I mean, not really worry about what's going on. No, it doesn't say that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that after it says stay alert. So that's what we are to do, stay alert. Okay, just to let you know that you may be prey to the devil, but you, if you are in Christ, then you are in no way, no shape, no form, a victim or defenseless. Jesus says in Luke 10, 19, that behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Amen? See, we have the victory over our enemy. If we are in Christ, we cannot be destroyed. He may knock us down, and that's all right. That's okay, because in Christ, we will always rise. Uh, amen? Amen. In Christ, we fight the enemy from the position of victory. Colossians 2.15 tells us this. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In Jesus' name, by his sacrifice, and in the power of the mighty Holy Spirit he has given us, we hold the victory because in Christ's power, the enemy has been disarmed. He cannot hurt you. So if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, then you have all the power over the enemy by the authority given to you by Jesus because of his mighty work on the cross. We must be confident in our position in Christ and tell the enemy to leave in the name of Jesus Christ. You throw that name out there. That name is a weapon. And in the name, the demons will tremble and they will flee. They will flee. And I want you to know this. Knowing you have this great authority and actually using and exercising this great authority are two different things. That's why it is vital in order to overcome him, we must use our authority. 
We must stay alert, submit to God, resist the devil, use our authority, and he most assuredly, assuredly will leave. He has to. The Bible says it. He has to leave if we do these things because we have the authority. He may return, but each time he returns, you do it again and again and again and again and again. And eventually he may get the hit and, hint and leave you just a little bit alone. I want to leave you with some final thoughts today. If the enemy is constantly nagging you and you notice his presence in your life, then it is probably because he knows the kind of heart that you have. He knows that your heart can accomplish great things for God. He is afraid of a heart that's devoted to God. And he's going to do anything to take it out. So above all else in your life, guard your heart because everything flows from it. The enemy wants you on the sidelines and he wants you discouraged. He wants you defeated. He wants you sitting down. So many Christians, they want to do something great for the kingdom of God and for God, but they don't make it past the first few steps. Because once you, once you get just a little bit of progress, the enemy's standing there, right there, to make you miserable and to knock you down. Do not give up. I urge you this morning, don't give up. Press forward, pursue anyways. He is already defeated. He can't hurt you. He can't touch you. You have a God that is on your side. And he is working all things out for your good. Just like that song said today, he's working it all out. Don't give the enemy the satisfaction to see you give up. This is where we must know who he is. We must know what he's up to, what he's doing, and we must know how we overcome him. We must fight like the champions, like the conquerors, like the anointed, like the empowered, like the heirs, like the children of God that we are. We must know who we are and who our enemy is in this war. And we must know the enemy's power and how he's using it. And we gotta know ours and how to use it as well. I really hope that through this message today, that you were encouraged, that you were informed, that you were better equipped for the battle that you're in. And if you already knew this stuff, well, I hope that it was a great reminder for you today. And I hope, because I've been encouraged. So I just thank you all for letting me speak this message that the Lord gave me. And we're gonna close out here in prayer. Everybody bow their heads. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.